This is Esther Ivarum, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for listening and for being a part of our audience. And I'm asking you to please partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. Your fully tax-deductible donation of as little as $3 a month will help us keep lifting up voices of activism and resistance to corporate power and corporate media. So please go to our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash on the ground show where we post the shows and bonus material. Or you can see all the ways to support, including end of the year giving and PayPal on our website, which you know is onthegroundshow.org. Thank you. From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. Though Israel has ceased missile attacks on Gaza, its military occupation, siege, and apartheid policies continue, and Palestinians say they can't go back to business as usual. We must continue building power and working together to hold our governments accountable and to demand that they take immediate action to condemn and withdraw full support to the so-called Zionist state. Israel's recent attacks have sparked a new mass movement of solidarity with the Palestinian struggle. Biden, Biden, you will see. Biden, Biden, you will see. Palestine will be free. Palestine will be free. Say, say, Sheikh Jarrah. Say, say, Sheikh Jarrah. Say, say, Sheikh Jarrah. Say, say, Sheikh All that and more coming up on the show. A ceasefire ending 11 days of deadly bombing in Gaza was holding Friday morning. The missile attacks on Gaza killed at least 232 people, including at least 63 children, and further galvanized world support for the Palestinian struggle after Israeli forces stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque holy site during Ramadan earlier this month, injuring hundreds and attacked protesters rallying against the ethnic cleansing of Palestinian families in the East Jerusalem community of Sheikh Jarrah. In response to these provocations, Hamas fired up to 4,000 rockets toward Israel in the past 11 days, killing 12 people while reaching farther into Israel than with their previous rockets. Despite resolutions introduced by progressives in the House and Senate to delay or condition arms sales to Israel, President Biden told reporters at the White House Thursday that the United States will continue to supply Israel with missiles and funding for its Iron Dome rocket defense system. Biden also said that he would work with the Palestine Authority, not Gaza's elected government, Hamas, to help rebuild Gaza. The ceasefire also comes after growing worldwide protests in solidarity with the Palestinian struggle, as the recent attacks are coinciding with the 73rd anniversary of the Nakba, which means catastrophe and marks this day, May 15, 1948, when up to 800,000 Palestinians began to be forcefully removed from their homes to make way for the creation of the State of Israel. 
Rasha Anaya, an organizer for the Palestinian Youth Movement, DMV, spoke to the D.C. crowd that swelled to 10,000 at its largest point on May 15th. We will be heard. We will not be silenced. From the bottom of my heart, as a Palestinian who has had family in Palestine living under occupation, who has had family murdered at the hand of the Israeli Zionist army, who has had my own tax dollars in the United States fund the oppression of my people. I know that as long as we all stand together, we can make a difference, and it starts today. Who's with me? We're still here. More on the Palestinian liberation struggle for the remainder of the hour. Well, with the anniversary of George Floyd's murder upcoming on May 25th, many of those rallying drew connections between the movement for Palestinian rights and the movement for black lives. As images this week from Gaza showed men, women, and children killed by Israeli bombs, news stories and graphic video continues to show the murder of black men at the hands of the police in the United States. The May 15th New York Times published the results of an investigation into how medical examiners who work closely with police and prosecutors have been using the fact that black people are prone to carry the trait for sickle cell anemia as a cause of death in dozens of suspicious cases when people died in police custody. The story starts with a chilling account of 32-year-old Lamont Perry being chased into the woods in Wadesboro, North Carolina in 2016. Police officers emerged from the woods with no body camera video available, but with their shoes and the bottoms of their pants splattered with blood. And though Perry would not emerge from the woods alive, and his autopsy revealed swelling of the brain and an open fracture of his right leg, his death was attributed to the fact that he carried the trait for sickle cell anemia. Also this week, a North Carolina prosecutor decided that there would be no state charges against three sheriff deputies who shot to death Andrew Brown, an unarmed 42-year-old father who was driving away from the police when he was shot in the back of the head. The decision by R. Andrew Womble was made without ever releasing the full body cam video of the shooting. A federal civil rights investigation is ongoing into the death of Brown. Two South Carolina deputies, Lindsey Fickett and Brian Hole, have been fired for using pepper spray and tasers on a mentally ill man, Jamal Sutherland, at the detention center in Charleston County. And finally, on Thursday, the Associated Press released shocking video that shows Louisiana State Police beating, kicking and repeatedly tasing 49-year-old Ronald Green after a car chase in 2019. Green's family said that police told them that Green died after his car hit a tree and that he was thrown through the windshield. His mother, Mona Harden, told CNN Thursday night that she believes higher ups in the Louisiana State Police and government were involved in covering up the truth about her son's death. What needs to be done and all the officers named needs to go to jail. They just need to pay whatever price it is the highest. Because what I saw done to my son was murder.
Other victims of the U.S. policing system include those who are in jail only because they cannot afford to pay bail. Lydia Curtis gives us an update on one group making a difference. Free Black Mamas DMV, a group that raises money to release Black women from pretrial detention, has successfully bailed out more than 50 women since their first action coinciding with Mother's Day 2017. And this May, five Mother's Days later, residents of Ward 8 in D.C. celebrated the achievements of the group, which began with the goal of raising just $3,000, but had instead raised more than $10,000 that first year to free incarcerated women who had not been convicted of any crime. Free Black Mamas DMV is a part of the national bailout movement, which has successfully drawn attention to the injustice of the money bail system, which discriminates against and jails low-income people, particularly black and brown people. Nene Taylor, organizer with Free Black Mamas, spoke to the crowd gathered at Bread for the City on May 16th. To be better people and give them an opportunity when the system thought they can throw them away. And the reality is, every mother we got out, 98% of our cases, all our cases, we, we fucking got them dropped or we beat them. Period. Because when we get our mothers, we ride it all the way out until we go into the, in front of the judge. And when we, come in, when we come in front of the judge, it's us and our ancestors. While D.C. does not have a money bail system, municipalities in neighboring Virginia and Maryland do. Free Black Mamas DMV helped a number of women get free in 2021 and helps women post-incarceration with housing, child care, and other necessities. Even though people in pretrial detention are still innocent in the eyes of the law, the money bail system requires them to pay non-refundable 10% deposits to for-profit bail bonds companies, part of a $2 billion industry. According to the Marshall Project, about two-thirds of the jail population in the United States, or about half a million people, are incarcerated because they cannot pay bail. To learn more or to help, contact nationalbailout.org. For On the Ground, this is Lydia Curtis. And finally, in culture and media, the African People's Socialist Party is marking African Liberation Day with an online program, Build the African Worker State. And you can find more information on Facebook. Also, and that's on May 22nd. Also on May 22nd at 11 a.m., Black Alliance for Peace is hosting the program African Liberation in the Americas, a webinar on Haiti, Brazil, Colombia, and Venezuela. And you can get more information about that on Facebook. And starting today on May 21st through May 23rd, there is the Virtual DC Music Summit, a three-day event, and you can get more information at dcmusicfest.org. Of course, May 19th marked the birthday of human rights advocate Malcolm X, Vietnamese anti-colonialist and nationalist revolutionary Ho Chi Minh, Japanese-American civil rights activist Yuri Kochiyama, and also the celebrated playwright of the 20th century, Lorraine Hansberry. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us.
When we look at other parts of this earth upon which we live, we find that black, brown, red, and yellow people in Africa and Asia are getting their independence. They're not getting it by singing, we shall overcome. No, they're getting it through nationalism. It is nationalism that brought about the independence of the people in Asia. Every nation in Asia gained its independence through the philosophy of nationalism. Every nation on the African continent that has gotten its independence brought it about through the philosophy of nationalism. And it will take black nationalism that to bring about the freedom of 22 million Afro-Americans here in this country where we have suffered colonialism for the past 400 years. America is just as much a colonial power as England ever was. America is just as much a colonial power as France ever was. In fact, America is more so a colonial power than they because she's a hypocritical colonial power behind it. What is 20th, what, what do you call second-class citizenship? Why, that's colonization. Second-class citizenship is nothing but 20th century slavery. How are you going to tell me you're a second-class citizen? They don't have second-class citizenship in any other government on this earth. They just have slaves and people who are free. Well, this country is a hypocrite. They try and make you think they set you free by calling you a second-class citizen. No, you're nothing but a 20th century slave. Just as it took nationalism to move, to remove colonialism from Asia and Africa, it'll take black nationalism today to remove colonialism from the backs and the minds of uh, 22 million Afro-Americans here in this country. Looks like it might be the year of the ballot or the bullet. Free, free Palestine! Free, free Today we commemorate the start of the Nakba on its 73rd anniversary. We have all heard the stories from our families and we will always remember them. The keys, the teas left on the tables, the unfinished works of literature and art. 73 years ago my grandparents fled their homes after they heard of massacres in the nearby villages. My grandmother was pregnant with my oldest uncle. They walked on foot for days to escape the atrocities that the genocidal, settler, colonial, so-called apartheid state of Israel continues to depend on. My grandfather was still holding on to the key and house title hoping to go back. He held on to the key until he passed away. His dream to return home was stolen from him, as it was for all of our ancestors who fled our homeland from Zionist invasion. As we remember the start of the Nakba, we remember our people in Sheikh Jarrah, who have been fighting for their right to their homes, for their right to make new memories, for the right to continue living on their land. We will not allow the Zionist crime of forced displacement of ethnic cleansing to happen to the residents of Sheikh Jarrah. Sheikh Jarrah is a modern representation of the continuation of the Nakba. The families of Sheikh Jarrah have already been through this violent forced displacement. 
which is an understatement, over and over again. It is an ongoing practice that my that Zionism resorts to every time they fear the fact of our existence. The Zionist project was founded on the myth, a land without people for a people without land. Our people were living on our land. Our people are still living on our land. And our people will continue living on our land. I say the side of the Nakba because the Nakba is ongoing. It has continued since 48, into 67, into all of the following decades up until now, Sheikh Jarrah. The wound is still bleeding and the agony our people suffer never stops in its progression. Thinking of the Nakba as a historical event further contributes to the erasure of our people. So as we say the Nakba is ongoing, we say so is our resistance. Zionism attempts to seal Palestinian life in every form. But despite every Zionist attempt of erasure, of genocide, of ethnic cleansing, of colonial dispossession, we live. Our people have, have survived the unsurvivable and will continue to. The Palestinian heart's dedication to liberation will never be broken by the oppressor. We love life and we teach life and we will continue to live. We will never allow them to enjoy our land and their goals will never become reality because our resistance will not cease until liberation. As I write this, my family in Gaza is hearing bombings. They have been hearing bombings for six days straight now. We check on them every day. We watch the news constantly, praying for their safety. This week, we watched the nightmare the Palestinians always pray doesn't repeat itself, come back to life in Gaza. Gaza was declared unlivable by 2020 by the UN. The Zionists so-called on the two million Palestinians in Gaza, in the most densely populated area in the world, is finally being recognized. Gaza has been screaming into a void for too long. The inhumane conditions inflicted by the Zionist oppressor on the people of, of Gaza exemplify the height of the Zionist oppressor's inhumanity. Today we remember every martyr from Gaza, every martyr from the West Bank, every martyr from Jerusalem, every martyr across Palestine whose life was stolen for no reason other than the fact that they lived. A crime to Zionism. For the first time in history, the crimes against our people are being put on full display for the world to see, and the world is finally watching. The international we have the international outrage we have been waiting for is happening, and we cannot lose momentum. We must continue building power and working together to hold our governments accountable and to demand that they take immediate action to condemn and withdraw full support to the so-called Zionist state. The U.S. aid of three point eight billion dollars annually, ten million dollars a day. Half a million an hour is enough proof that the U.S. has Palestinian blood on their hands. As we stand on, on stolen land here, we demand that the U.S. stop funding our genocide and theft of our land back home. <laughs> As Muhammad Al-Qur from Shastara continues to emphasize, they are literally depending on our exhaustion. We stand with our people in the streets of Jerusalem, Haifa, Elid, Yaffa, Akka, everywhere across our country who have been facing Zionist forces with their bare-chested bodies, whose homes are being marked, attacked, and invaded by Zionist settlers. Today, our people face the same Zionist forces our grandparents survived. Our people are the epitome of strength and resilience, and our people will continue fighting for our right to all return home. The time will come for our people to live in dignity and prosperity. We will not stop fighting for liberation, and we are not going anywhere. Free Palestine! <laughs> I see so many beautiful faces here today. Where are my Egyptians at?
You know what I've seen today also? Algerian flags. Where are my Algerians at? So much solidarity support from all of the world. Because guess 
guess what? They're training our police right here. And they're training on the tactics that were used to kill George Floyd. So our oppression is interconnected. I want to hear everyone scream, HR! HR! 20 years ago. Do you know they said to me the same thing they said to my parents, the same thing they said to my grandparents. The old will die, the young will forget. Not a single one of you has forgotten because like seeds, we grow. You have been listening to voices from the DC Nakba 73 March held on May 15th, 2021. Surely at least 10,000 people marching through downtown DC uh, in support of the Palestinian struggle and the right of Palestinians for self-determination and liberation. And the last person you heard was attorney and human rights activist, Nora Erekat. And before her, Hannah Schramm of the Council on American Islamic Relations Care. And before that, Rasha Anaya and Lena Shahid, both of the Palestinian Youth Movement. This is On the Ground. Stay with us. Oh, <laughs> 
This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. And I'm joined by Russia Anaya and Lena Shahid of the Palestinian Youth Movement, which spearheaded these massive marches here in D.C. and across the United States to stand up in the wake of ethnic cleansing in the East Jerusalem community of Sheikh Jarrah and the storming of Al-Aqsa Mosque. And then on May 15th, to commemorate the 73rd anniversary of the Nakba or the catastrophe, the expulsion of up to 800,000 Palestinians from their homes, their historic homes in Palestine. Welcome to On the Ground, Lena and Russia. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So I was going to just kind of bounce off the march and all the energy and the tremendous response all around the world. I was just looking at a video on electronic intifada about uh, there were at least 20 or 25 cities all around the globe where people participated in these massive marches. But on Thursday night, of course, you know, President Biden took to the airwaves to give remarks about the ceasefire between uh, Hamas and Israel. And so I wanted to first get your response and your reaction to the ceasefire and what Biden had to say. Uh, you could start, Russia. Thanks, Esther, for having us on. The ceasefire, I think, doesn't really change much on the ground, really. Israel has a long history of breaking ceasefires. There's constant airstrikes in Gaza, and even when there's not constant airstrikes in Gaza, life there is unbearable. It was deemed unlivable in 2020. And even if there's a ceasefire of between, quote unquote, the Israeli occupation forces and different Palestinian resistance factions, what's to say that doesn't mean that Israeli settlers aren't still going to be lynching people in the street, that they aren't going to be in leading homes, they're not going to be terrorizing Palestinians and calling death to Arabs. I mean, they were walking around in mobs yelling death to Arab weeks ago before it came into the international stage. So the ceasefire is part of like the political sham of the quote unquote peace process, which tries to equate Israeli violence to Palestinian resistance. And these things are not equal to each other in any sense. And so this just plays into that. And completely ignores the fact that Israel is inflicting violence on Palestinians and Palestine every single day. Right. So the, the beauty and I, of this mo movement and this moment for me has been that more people all around the world became more conscious of the history of Palestine, of the Nakba, of the expulsion of Palestinians and throughout the diaspora. And also the fact that Asking Palestinians to go back to life as normal is basically asking them to go back to, I think, as Nora Arakat said, like dying quietly. Like, as you just said, the blockade of Gaza, the stripping of farmers of their olive trees and gardens, the inability to rebuild your home after these airstrikes, the bombing of infrastructure like sewage and plumbing, the fact that people don't have water to drink and that uh, Israel restricts even the amount of food that is allowed to go into Gaza, that people can't come out to seek medical treatment. Uh, I saw a video of the um, so many of the young people attacked and wounded during the Great March of Return intentionally, you know, in their legs, in their in a way to maim them. And they weren't able to get out to seek medical care and their, their leg, limbs had to be amputated or they died. So I assume that uh, activists like yourselves are looking for uh, a, not only a greater response because you know that your self-determination is in your own hands, but 
how do Palestinians continue to resist in a way so that it doesn't go back to business as usual, but that the movement is demanding an end to the occupation and the siege? Um, yeah, so so first of all, the I think it's important to note that Gaza under attack is a hashtag that has been being used by Palestinians in Gaza for years. It is not a new hashtag. And even before this, I mean, for months, every week, uh, Gaza was under attack with airstrikes. So it's really significant that it has become a viral hashtag because they have been using it for so long. So even if Israel follows through with the ceasefire, that doesn't mean the violence in Gaza will stop. And for me, it's really, it is really personal because my family's in Gaza. I think for us, for people who's, who have families in Gaza and Palestinians in general, we've kind of had this apprehension, this collective apprehension for this entire time since um, the movement started that the, the support will die out. And we know that that means death for, that means more death and more loss in Gaza. And we are really like pushing and we're going to stay on the streets and we need to keep up the hashtags because it really is a matter of life or death. And we don't want things to settle back to normal because that just means more violence. And Israel does commit more war crimes when they aren't being watched. So we need to really keep eyes on Gaza and keep eyes on Sheikh Jarrah, keep eyes on Palestine until liberation. A lot of the, this most recent uh, series of event, events started with the attempted eviction of families in Sheikh Jarrah. And for example, in terms of what you were just saying, Lena, there was a delay in the decision by the judge. But for example, that decision is going to still come out at some point, right? And these courts have been sanctioning the takeover of people's homes, uh, have been uh, giving the green light for these settlers to come and take people's homes. So is that a particular flashpoint for you in terms of what you're also watching? The timing of what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah is very telling. This has been going on for them since 1972, and it hit a flashpoint around the anniversary of the Nakba. And why that's so important is because it's not just that the Nakba happened 73 years ago, but we're literally watching the continuation of the Nakba in real time. When we say that we're watching Sheikh Jarrah, the families being pulled out of the houses, we're watching kids get shot, we're watching people get shot with rubber bullets, with skunk water, when we're saying settlers are coming in and they're lynching people in Lid and in Haifa and Gaza is being bombed, this is everything that happened 73 years ago and continued to happen until this point. So it's a flashpoint, but it's a flashpoint because it's us watching our history in continuum. And it's made, it's coming to social media. And despite all of the media ignoring what's happening and trying to spin what's happening into some sort of conflict or some sort of tensions, we're seeing it happen right in front of our eyes. And there's no way to deny that this is Nekbe again and again and again. And so what comes with ongoing Nekbe, of course, is ongoing resistance. And that's what we're seeing within Palestine and within the Palestinian diaspora and within the Palestinian refugee population. We can't. We've never allowed it to happen without resistance. And right now, with a huge escalation of violence, of course, there's an escalation of resistance and response. It won't be met with us sitting down and just taking it. One of the things that I wanted you to talk about was the ways that the resistance here, the organizing here has, I don't know, allowed you to ex 
expand solidarity, extend solidarity, receive solidarity from from new allies, new comrades who want to support uh, the Palestinian struggle, the Palestinian people. I think the solidarities that we have um, between Palestinian people and between other communities run really, really deep. And this has been a moment of watching that come into fruition. Palestinian and Black struggles, for example, have been linked very far back. The Black Panther Party and the PLO used to exchange members and used to meet up. Kwame Ture used, like his dream was to drink tea in Palestine. These things run really deep. Our connections to um, the indigenous struggle, there was Palestinians that were at Standing Rock and there were Palestinians that were wounded knee in 1972. These things run so, so deep. And, you know, especially after last year and all of the uprising last year, you know, it's a continuation of that resistance within the United States as well. So it's been so, so beautiful to go to a protest in D.C., the heart of empire, which has all the violences that it conducts on a global scale, on a national scale, and then on a local scale as well. And then to be connecting with organizers on all of those fronts, we've connected with black folks, with indigenous folks, with Filipinos, with Bolivians, like on every level of the spectrum. And the reason that those connections exist is because our oppression comes ultimately from the same root, from roots of white supremacy, of roots of capitalism, roots of imperialism and colonialism. And the way that they manifest might be a little bit different, but our systems of oppression are inextricably linked and our resistance also is. I have to wind up, but I want to know if you had any other thoughts that you wanted to share in terms of going forward and what's next for the movement. Go ahead, Lena. Uh, yeah, yeah. So basically, I mean, Palestinians don't want this to die down. Like I said, we want, we need this, we need the support um, and the momentum to continue for as long as possible. And we are demanding a radical solution to the military occupation. The violence in Palestine will, will not end without the end of the military occupation. Um, and we ask that people pressure their representatives to speak about Palestine not only to speak about Palestine, but to call what is going on outright exactly what it is, to call it colonization, to call it apartheid, to call it settler colonialism, and to demand that the U.S. end support to Israel and call on, on Israel to lift the siege on Gaza especially. The ultimate goal is the end of the military occupation, and Palestinians are asking for liberation. They're not asking for monetary aid. The Palestinian struggle is not just a humanitarian issue. It is a struggle for liberation, and that's what we're fighting for. Okay. I've been speaking with Lena Shahid and Russia Anaya of the Palestinian Youth Movement. Thank you for joining me. And uh, I, I wanted to say stay safe, but I, I also want to say the struggle continues. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Esther. Thank you.
This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. And for more on this momentous week here in the nation's capital, I'm joined by On the Ground's geopolitical analyst, the activist and author, Professor Gerald Horn, author of more than three dozen books, including The Dawning of the Apocalypse, The Roots of Slavery, White Supremacy, Settler Colonialism, and Capitalism in the Long 16th Century. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you. Well, I'm so glad you could join me today. And Gerald, I mentioned Dawning of the Apocalypse of all your many books that we've discussed because this week we are witnessing this confluence. First of all, these two violent settler colonial states, the United States and Israel, in military collusion committing war crimes against the occupied people of Palestine and the people of Palestine in an historic uprising fighting back, even staging a a national strike on Tuesday and then the first ever cracks in the congressional wall of support for funding the apartheid state of Israel. And finally, all of this, as we in the African-American community celebrate the 96th birthday of human rights icon Malcolm X, who taught us so much about the need for a solidarity between people of African descent and other people brutalized by colonization and genocide. So I know that's a mouthful, but what are your thoughts on what feels like to me an important moment of truth in the this post-colonial era? Well, you are correct. And I think the one lesson, ironically, we should glean from these tumultuous events of the past week or two is that the two culprits, U.S. imperialism and Israeli settler colonialism, are actually in a downward trajectory. And they're working feverishly to arrest this decline, but I don't think that they'll be able to do so. And it's appropriate that you mention my book on the 16th century, because one of the things I point out there is that one of the reasons why we Africans or in North America, speaking in language English, develop in Northwestern Europe, is because England is a scrappy Protestant underdog against Catholic Spain, basically cut a deal with the Ottoman Turkish Muslims. And part of the deal was that England, which had expelled this Jewish population in 1290-1291, did a pivot and decided to embrace the Jewish population that was fleeing from inquisitorial Iberian Spain and Portugal. And that was part of the key that allowed England to prevail in their many battles over the centuries. And so therefore, when we see this final chapter unfolding, when British colonialism basically ushered in Israeli Zionism in 1947-1948, we're seeing the final stages of a project that was implanted in the 16th century, which brings us to Malcolm X, because I think we should study very carefully this article of his that was just exposed that deals in 1964 with the question of Palestine, with the question of Israel, that's very prescient in terms of guiding the way to how we should oppose this entire project. And so it's appropriate that we're marking, I believe, his 96th birthday on this very tumultuous week. So when I look at this week, hundreds of people dead is horrific. And so is the terror. 
And also horrific is the way we can see right before our eyes how we're being lied to, how the U.S., other countries, and corporate media maintaining this imperial order are holding fiercely to this failing narrative that insists on seeing the besieged people of Gaza as aggressors, that uses passive words and terms like clashes, conflict, and property dispute to mask what are targeted assassinations and ethnic cleansing of Palestinian people. It always starts with the narrative at the point that Palestinians fight back with rudimentary rockets or rocks, rather than start with the storming of, for example, the Al-Aqsa Mosque as people pray during Ramadan, or the ongoing really violent displacement of people from their homes, or the illegal Israeli blockade and war crimes in Gaza. I mean, there are so many crimes against humanity that are kind of ongoing uh, happenings in historic Palestine that the international community is supposed to accept and just look away from. So I'm curious as an historian who, you know, researches and examines documents, you know, how do you process the obvious, not only bias, but lies of the corporate media? Well, I realize that the aptly named corporate media is in bed, figuratively, if not literally, with the rulers in Washington and on Wall Street. And so therefore, their mission is to throw dust in the eyes of the masses, which they expertly do. But once again, the project they're hoping to salvage, speaking of U.S. imperialism and Israeli settler colonialism, are both in a downward trajectory. For example, eight or nine months ago at the White House, you had the 45th U.S. president ushering in what he called the Abraham Accords, supposedly bringing the United Arab Emirates and ultimately Morocco, Bahrain, Sudan, into some sort of normalization of relations with Israel. And then the job of these Muslim Arab countries was to lean on the Palestinians and force them to accept half a loaf or none. But obviously that has backfired because you have these rockets demonstrations in Morocco. The UAE is inching away from normalization. And in fact, it's apparent that Israel is becoming a millstone around the neck of U.S. imperialism. It's obviously seeking to block normalization of Washington's relations with Iran. And at the same time, Israel has the audacity, the temerity, to leap sophisticated U.S. military technology to China at a time when Washington under Biden is trying to pivot towards aggression against China. So this is a very weird ally, speaking of Israel, which is why the relationship between the two is indeed in a downward trajectory. So this week there were reports of a CNN memo leaked which instructed all staff to only refer to Gaza hospitals and health ministries as Hamas-run hospitals or um, Hamas-run health ministries, obviously casting doubt or aspersions on any information coming out of Gaza. And it reminded me uh, of the Malcolm X quote, if you aren't careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. And I do have uh, two clips I can play. One is of a uh, Palestinian scholar uh, talking about Malcolm X's visit to Gaza and also a sound clip of him talking about the nature of the media while we have these struggles against imperialism and colonialism. I started with the conversation around Malcolm X's support for Palestine, which a lot of people don't know, started from a trip that he took to Gaza in 1964, September 1964. He was there for just two days, toured refugee camps, met with political officials, but 
actually had a conversation with a poet who affected him deeply because this poet narrated his fleeing of a massacre in 1956 in Gaza. And so Malcolm took that and he wrote op-eds in Egyptian Gazette, which is an English language newspaper, and then used that to understand multiple systems that were in conversation with each other. He was even talking about South Africa, Congo, Palestine, and the U.S. as connected systems of oppression globally. So that's Meta Al-Hassan, a journalist, poet, and author. She was in South Africa three years ago for the Malcolm X and Afro-Palestinian public conversation, which was a buildup to something called the South Africa-Israeli apartheid campaign. And she was speaking with the South African Broadcasting Corporation. Now, I just have one more clip about uh, Malcolm X talking about the, the media. When you have a revolution in the country, the first thing you take over is the radio. And then you start telling the people that everybody, the war is over. And, and, and so all of them surrender. No, they believe that thing right there. And once they take that over, they start telling you uh, where you are and where they are, and you fall right in line. It's plain thought control. The majority of the American people aren't segregationists. That the majority of the American people aren't imperialists. But the government is, the structure is, the power faction is. So... But how, how then do all the majority go along with it? Because those who sit in power over the television, over the radio, and over the press is constantly telling those who are the masses how free they are and how, and how, how this they are and how that they are. Okay, so that was Malcolm X talking about the media, the press, what we call the corporate media right now. And as we celebrate, really, what would have been his 96th birthday this week, you know, what do you make of Representative Meeks withdrawing his intention to just send a letter to the Biden administration asking them to postpone this $735 million in additional military aid right now to Israel, you know, which Biden just proposed earlier this month uh, before these attacks began? And I guess, as you know, on Wednesday, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York introduced a resolution aimed at this $735 million in advanced weaponry to the Israeli government. Um, But it was not passed by the House on Thursday. And at the same time, you know, these black politicians like Meeks, and we can't forget the black U.N. ambassador, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, holding up these resolutions against what Israel is doing. And I suppose that these politicians don't see and these officials don't see the connections between not standing up for the Palestinian people and not being able to pass the, for example, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act or not being able to get justice on all these proliferating and ongoing cases of murder of black people here in the United States. Well, certainly, I think we should not be surprised by the nonfeasance and misfeasance of Congressman Gregory Meeks of Queens. After all, he inherited the mantle, that is to say, being chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, from the defeated Congressman Elliot Ingalls of the neighboring Bronx, who was defeated by now Congressman Jamal Bowman, not least because Elliot Ingalls obviously was enthralled to the Israeli lobby. Uh, Obviously, Mr. Meeks feels he needs to carry on that unfortunate tradition which suggests that by 2022, he too will be looking for a new job like former Congressman Engel is doing now. But I think it's appropriate in terms of 
marking the birthday of Malcolm X, to make this linkage between the recent reports suggesting that Israel is an apartheid state, not unlike apartheid South Africa, but also link that to the United States as a Jim Crow state, uh, which it was for most of its post-Civil War history, and still bears the stained legacy of apartheid. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're so critical of a person like Congressman Meeks, who more than most should recognize that our tax dollars should not be allotted to subsidize killing and targeted assassinations in Gaza, but should be allotted to child care, health care, education, and the human needs that his district in Queens so desperately requires. Oh, I'm sorry, Gerald. I have totally run out of time. I'm over time. I'm going to post the rest of our conversation on our website, onthegroundshow.org. And that will do it for today's episode of On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. Thank you to Chantel James, Lydia Curtis, and Thomas O'Rourke for their contributions to the show today. You can check out all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. And you can reach out to us and support us there as well. You can also let us know you like the show at On The Ground Show on Facebook, Twitter, or on Patreon.com at On The Ground Show. Our new podcast, On The Ground with Esther Averam, is on all your podcast platforms. Our new podcast, social media pages, and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says On The Ground. Thank you to all those checking out the podcast and giving us an awesome rating. The music we played this hour included Cloud Blue by Isaiah Roussan, Shalala by the Ether Orchestra, and Empire State of Mind by Jay-Z. Our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. This is Esther Ivarum, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for listening and for being a part of our audience. And I'm asking you to please partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. Your fully tax-deductible donation of as little as $3 a month will help us keep lifting up voices of activism and resistance to corporate power and corporate media. So please go to our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash on the ground show where we post the shows and bonus material or you can see all the ways to support including end of the year giving and paypal on our website which you know is on the ground show dot org thank you